This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, flamethrowers. Welcome to Burn It All Down. I'm Shireen Ahmed, and joining me today are Lindsay Gibbs and Jessica Luther. Happy Black History Month. Um, We have an incredible show today. We will be talking about the Olympics. Yes, the Olympics. Are they still happening? What's going on with them? Do we really want to know? Japan hasn't even started its vaccination program yet. So it doesn't even start its vaccination program until the end of this month. And it will not be fully vaccinated by the time the Olympics come. Holy shit. Yeah. And uh, before we jump into all that, I want to say a special thank you to all of our patrons and our dedicated flamethrowers without whom the show would not be possible. Now, in celebrating Black History Month, what is an interesting fact that you recently learned about Black athletes or leagues or history? Lindsay, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, this was I was glad you brought this question (laughs) to us because... I actually on it was National um, Girls and Women in Sports Day last week. And I found out it was the 35th annual day, but I found out something I'm a little embarrassed that I just learned, but that the first National Girls and Women in Sports Day was began as a day to honor Flo Hyman, a legendary U.S. volleyball player who won a silver medal with Team USA at the 84 Olympics and played professionally in Japan Um, she was just so, I mean, just, you know, just really like a standout and a superstar in Japan in the pro leagues there. Um, but she died from undiagnosed Marfan syndrome on January 24th, 86 after collapsing in a game and, um, her tragic death has really helped save lives by spreading awareness of, uh, Marfan syndrome and making it something that, um, people really look for um in in athletes um so yeah i was i was glad to learn all that and to learn more about flow i'm gonna go next and i think you probably you and jess already know this but for someone that enjoys going down rabbit holes and stuff like this i didn't know about lucia harris the first women's college basketball superstar of the modern era um, thank you to Undefeated for this really, and for Helen of Women's Hoops blog, because I went down said rabbit hole that I enjoyed. She was also the first, she scored the first ever basket in the Women's Olympic basketball competition in 1976, and was the first Black woman to be inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. And like I said, this is from, I'm getting this information from Helen's blog and The Undefeated. Um, But I also really wanted to say that the hashtag that The Undefeated is using is 
hashtag Black History Always as opposed to Black History Month because the importance of this information will continue in like April and November. So it's not like we only need to be going down the rabbit holes this month. Jess, what do you have for us? Yeah, so I was thinking, what did I learn recently? And I have been reading Dr. Frank Garidi, friend of the show. He has a new book coming out next month titled The Sports Revolution, How Texas Changed the Culture of American Athletics. I've been lucky enough to read a lot of it in advance, and it's wonderful. And so I just want to tell this story that Frank tells. It's in chapter three of his book. He's writing about the desegregation of football in Texas, and it starts with this incredible scene. November 5th, 1966, the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Texas, Southern Methodist University, SMU. The Mustangs are playing Texas A&M. Both are in the Southwest Conference, which is kind of like the precursor to the Big 12. It doesn't exist anymore. SMU has Jerry Levias. He's the first black scholarship football athlete in the SWC. A&M's coach, upon hearing of Levias's scholarship, he said some fucked up thing about how no football team could ever unify if it had a black man on it. SMU won. When Levias ran back an 83-yard punt return in the fourth quarter, his path cleared exclusively, of course, by his white teammates. So will you just indulge me? I want to read just a part of how Frank describes this scene in the book, which is so beautiful. He writes, quote, A Jack Beers photograph captures Levias mid-gallop, the soon-to-be all-SWC player racing toward the end zone, with A&M Aggies gassed in the background and his Mustangs teammates smiling with joy. The photo is reminiscent of other racial scenarios in the sordid history of the U.S. South. Runaway slaves fleeing slave catchers, or innocent black men running from racist law enforcement officers. In this context, Levias wasn't simply running for a touchdown in a college football game. Here in the stadium named after Cotton, the commodity that symbolized the brutal exploitation of the enslaved, one of their descendants was running from the shadows of racial slavery and Jim Crow segregation and ushering in a new moment in the region's and the country's history, a post-Jim Crow athletic order. I love this whole book. It's beautiful. I've learning so much from it. I'm excited for Frank. So that's what I wanted to share today. That's awesome. We love Frank. So next up, Tokyo Summer Olympics and Paralympics 2020 or 2021. I like to call this segment, what the fuck is happening? Jessica. Accurate. So last year in March, the IOC announced that the Olympics and the Paralympics set to take place in and around Tokyo would be postponed due to the global pandemic. For now, the Olympics are scheduled to start on Friday, July 23rd, 2021. The Paralympics on Tuesday, August 24th. But a couple of weeks ago, in late January, the Times out of the UK published a piece that started, quote, the Japanese government has privately concluded that the Tokyo Olympics will have to be canceled because of the coronavirus, and the focus is now on securing the Games for the city in the next available year, 2032. But that was based on an anonymous source without much to back it up. The IOC, the IPC, and the officials in charge of the Tokyo Games have denied this report, and as of this moment, they are all still supposed to take place. But that just seems so wild, given the state of the pandemic, if nothing else. Right, Lindsay? Yeah, so I just think it's important to take a a very brief big picture look at this. Um, We're recording this on February 7th um, and in the morning. And there have, as of now, been 106 million coronavirus cases. 106 million. And over 2.3 million deaths um, globally. And um, the vaccine distribution um, has started, but it's very focused in wealthy countries right now um, and poor countries are not getting the vaccine and there are now new strains coming out 
and um, popping up all over the world that are more contagious. The new strains are going to be more contagious. And there's, you know, we're still, we're figuring all this out in real time. So we don't know how the vaccine is going to um, handle all of these new strains. So it's just... It just feels sometimes like we talk about the coronavirus like it's a hypothetical when it's something that's actually really um, ravaging the world and has been for a year. Um, It's really destroyed the state of Olympic qualifiers um, if we're just talking on an athletic basis. Um, These, you know, it's very unusual for it to be like three, four months before the Olympics and for athletes and teams to not even know if they can go, right? If they're going to make it there. Um, So you've got the Cameroon and Chile playoff uh, in the women's Olympic football tournament. It's already been moved to April. It's been rescheduled a few times. The two-legged playoff between China and South Korea um, was recently postponed for the fourth time. Um, a gymnastics all around World Cup in Stuttgart was just canceled. Um, and there's, I think all of this really comes down to, there's a story about three Paralympians from Bermuda, Paralympians from Bermuda, um, who weren't even able to enter qualifying tournaments um, due to COVID restrictions. And therefore, they never even got a shot at qualifying for the Paralympics. So I think it's just it's just devastating. Like you're going to see the wealthier countries are going to have more resources to deal with this. And the whole point is that people get a chance to qualify. And that's not even happening. Thanks, Lens. Um, one of the things that's happening that we've that we're watching happen rather are safeguards that are proposed and what that looks like if the Olympics actually do in fact go forward. And one of the things I came across in this pre-research was a playbook that actually Lindsay and I were talking about this looks like an animated comic series about (laughs) what to do while completing in the Olympics in a pandemic. That's actually what it looks like. I don't know why I did this super deep voice there. I just, I don't know. Um, So some of the safeguards, like safeguards, quote unquote, being proposed, um, are absolutely insufficient considering a pandemic and the variants that could be coming up. Um, And, you know, we've seen other events that have been canceled. The NWHL actually ended up canceling the remainder of the Isabel Cup. Uh, There's been NCAA games that have been suspended, numbers rising in the NBA. So it's really not a stable time right now. So the proposed playbook for the Olympics, let's, let's do a little dive into this proposed playbook. No cheering for the athletes, no visiting bars or restaurants in Tokyo, less intimacy in the Olympic Village. And we'll put a link to the to this playbook in, in the show notes. So let's just Less intimacy in the Olympic Village. How will this be policed? I don't even want to know. Take enough masks for the entire state, but avoid wearing one with an unofficial sponsor logo. This was made sure to be mentioned up in the playbook. Because, you know, of all the priorities to talk about, this was one of them. Do not use public transport without permission. Like... I, I, I think people are just shooting in the dark here. Like, let's let's make up a proposed playbook for a pandemic Olympics and just really went with the most random things. I, I don't know. Like, I didn't see stay alive in there anywhere written, but, you know, I'm not an expert on writing proposed playbooks. Lindsay, your thoughts on this, too? Yeah, I just this is a quote from The New York Times. 
Um, anticipating criticism, the International Olympic Committee spent the past week reaching out to stakeholders and lowering expectations for the first iteration of the playbook, highly aware that it was light on substance. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my This goodness. is wild. Like, it's been, they've had a really long time now. It's not as if they're just, like, scrambling at this point. They've had a wow. very, very long time. Um, other things that stuck out to me in this 32 pages and with illustrations, so not very dense at all playbook, was that <laughs> athletes will be tested at least every four days, which to me just does not, not seem like enough. <laughs> wow. Like, I I got an air fryer, and I feel like the instruction manual for the air fryer is more comprehensive <laughs> yeah, than the <laughs> I mean, the, the air fryer didn't work out for me, but I'm just saying it was more detailed than this. So we're waiting till spring to decide if spectators can even travel. Um, and one of the things is a media member, I was looking at their guidelines of the press. They still want all the media to come, of course. And yet they're reducing capacity in each of the events. And, you know, it's just, it makes no sense. So they're not reducing the number of credentials, but they're reducing the press capacity at each thing. So it's all a mess. I don't know how anyone's planning ahead of time for this. And usually for the Olympics, media and press are planning two years in advance. That's I mean, that's the deadline for credentials. Um, and, you know, I mean, like Shereen just mentioned the NWHL, and I want to say, like, I just think about the different, how many different sporting events are going on at one time under the governance of the same people. And we're dealing with in leagues right now. The NBA uh, is a fucking shit show right now, and they have all the resources and 32 teams with only like you know, 15 players on each team, right? And they can't get them to follow directions. The NWHL was not successful, right? In getting their COVID protocols to follow. And that was only six teams. And um, it's just uh, how in the world so much of this 32-page manual is seems to be based on personal responsibility. And we've seen that that doesn't work. <laughs> like, that does not work. Bubbles and such will work because, you know, if it's a real bubble with real, um, you know, with real regular testing, that will work because it takes a personal responsibility, you know, thing out of the equation mostly. Uh, I just don't understand. Oh, and there's no quarantine. They're, you know, they're, they're bringing people in like a few days before the Olympics. But they told them not to have sex, so it's fine. It's fine. It will all be fine. They think COVID's an STD. Like, <laughs> I want a clarification. Are media allowed to have sex and take public transportation? Or is that just for the athletes? It's got to be discouraged for all of them because that's about spreading it, not only to each other, but to the rest of Japan. So, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I really do think it's like they think this is an STD and you can only get it through sex. <laughs> not that's not what this is how are we not better at this we have a, a choice quote from our favorite president bach here we'll just play it to see what the opinion of the ioc is not that we care but just we'd like to hear some even uh, make uh, the proposal to postpone uh, the olympic uh, games in, in tokyo to uh, the year 2032 uh, uh i want to say good luck if you would have to discuss this with an athlete who is preparing for the Olympic Games 2021. 20, uh, uh, there are some proposals to move it to, to another city. 
which uh, everybody who knows about the complexity of uh, uh, Olympic Games uh, is not, uh, is not uh, possible. We are uh, not uh, losing our time and energy on uh, speculations, but uh, we are fully concentrating on uh, the opening ceremony on the 23rd of uh, July uh, this year. As expected, uh, President Bach's comments are reductive and ridiculous. Uh, like, I mean, it's not that we don't <laughs> understand the complexity of the Olympics. Is that we don't want people to die more, actually? I don't know. And the state of the Olympics is not great anyway, right, Lens? Yeah, so we talk a lot um, on this podcast about how damaging the Olympics can be to the cities and how there kind of needs to be a new model here anyways. Um, and there is a piece in um, VOA News um, about this this week. Uh, it said, when Tokyo was awarded the 2020 Olympics, organizers were jubilant. The event would serve as a public relations bonanza showing the world Japan had overcome its long period of economic stagnation and the embarrassment caused by the Fukushima nuclear disaster. But things didn't exactly go as planned and not only because of the coronavirus. I'm going to end quote right there very briefly to say, we put too much on the Olympics. <laughs> like, countries need to stop holding the Olympics for PR boost. Like, that's just not what this should be. <laughs> and an Olympics cannot overcome a nuclear disaster. Like, that's not how this works. Okay, I'm going to start quoting again. Quote, the expensive proposal for Tokyo's main Olympic stadium, which was ditched after being widely mocked for resembling an oversized bicycle helmet, an intergalactic spaceship, and a turtle waiting for Japan to sink so that it can swim away. <laughs> there was the original Olympics logo, which had to be scrapped after accusations it plagiarized the emblem of a theater in Belgium. And those are all the things that happened in before the coronavirus. And estimates, according to some estimates, Japan will have spent wait for it, wait for it, as much as $35 billion to host the games, Holy shit. smashing through the original $7.5 billion budget. Organizers contest the larger figure. Uh, you know, they say many of those expenses are for projects not directly related to the games, but we all know that, you know, organizers use Olympics to get through other pet projects as well, and that it's all related to Olympics infrastructure. I mean, we know from our, you know, what we've talked about in our own work and research on the Olympics that the budget that comes out after a couple of years after everything's factored in is always, always more than initially projected. But 35 billion is a grotesque number. And I mean, this makes us think about who's running the show. Now let's for a second pause and talk about that. Yoshiro Mori, the former prime minister, who's head of the Japanese Olympic Committee. I mean, some of the concerns that he has are that having meetings because they're arduous and long. And my favorite part about this is that he was recently quoted to say that women take so much time out of all of these concerns. That's exactly what his comment was like during meetings they're taking up all the time talking too much which the data absolutely refutes any data any meeting that any woman's ever attended in lived experience will also refute this but the fact that women take so much time i don't know if it's that women are raising concerns or coming up with 
you know, helpful ideas, but just this concept that women take so much time. Now, he later apologized for the comments, but refuses to step down from the position. Although, you know, his feelings about women notwithstanding, he just feels that that was something that was of paramount importance to talk about. And it's just one of the holes. I mean, this this whole Olympics is like Swiss cheese. Just And like, One of the issues is what this will mean on the ground in Japan itself, of course, right? And so one thing that's been coming out over the last month is how much the Japanese themselves don't actually want these Olympic Games to take place. So the AP reported in mid-January that more than 80% of people in Japan who were surveyed said the Tokyo Olympics should be canceled or postponed or said they believed that they would not take place. Uh, The Asahi Shimbun, a daily paper in Japan, published a piece last week about how people in Japan are souring on the Olympics. The paper conducted a survey on January 23rd and 24th, which showed that only 11% of voters want the Olympics held in the summer as scheduled. That was down 19 percentage points from December survey. Even if these numbers are off in any kind of significant way, that's still just like so many people in Japan who don't even want this to be happening at this point. And so then on top of that, so there's like an infrastructure issue around healthcare, which clearly is important during a pandemic. So in January, the president of the Japan Medical Association said their hospitals were taxed and that it'd be impossible to admit any foreign visitors who catch COVID at the games to the hospital because there's simply no room at this point. They're in the middle of the third wave of the pandemic. The Tokyo Medical Association, which represents 20,000 doctors from dozens of smaller medical groups, was asked by both the Tokyo Olympic Organizing Committee and the Tokyo Metropolitan Government last year to secure more than 3,500 medical staff for the Olympics. Reuters reported this past week that the director of that association, when considering whether doctors and nurses will be able to volunteer for the Olympics, said, quote, no matter how I look at it, it's impossible. I'm hearing doctors who initially signed up to volunteer say there's no way they can take time off to help when their hospitals are completely overwhelmed. On some level, it's like no shit. But also this is to think about the humanitarian crisis that the Japanese could be bringing on to themselves by even holding these games at this point, games that people there don't even want. It's just there's something really, truly terrifying about that. Yeah, I was reading that, like, they don't have many ICU beds in Japan at all. And all of those are already taken by um, by COVID patients. And that just the tax that COVID is putting on its healthcare system um, is making, ho- you know, hospitals are going into deep debt. Um, doctors and nurses are already completely burned out and, you know, will just continue to be. And it's important to know, you know, everyone has said like, oh, well, that kind of treat vaccination is like this magic pill, of course. And one day far, far down the line, you know, it, it will be right. It will change things. But we're so early in this. Japan hasn't even started its vaccination program yet. So it doesn't even start its vaccination pro- program until the end of this month. And it will not be fully vaccinated by the time the Olympics come. Holy shit. Yeah. And then the IOC has said, you know, it will not mandate people to take a vaccine in order to have a vaccine in order to participate in the Olympics, which I honestly, I understand that I don't think you can do that right now. Um, But then that goes, then we have to look at kind of the individual governing bodies and seeing what they're going to do as far as the vaccine and its athletes. And that's when things get even um, more concerning, right? Like in India, um, medical personnel are first, but right after that, Olympians get priority and the Ministry of Health um, has 
said 100% that all Olympians will be vaccinated before the Olympics. Um, and you're already seeing athletes kind of jump line in Hungary and in Serbia. Israel um, has already vaccinated half its Olympic delegation and will complete the process by the end of May. Um, I think Canada and Britain have both said they're not going to jump the line for it, their athletes. Um, I don't think the United States has said either way, but you can certainly see these athletes finding ways, even if it's not mandated, right, to jump ahead in line and really mess up this this system and prevent much more vulnerable populations than, you know, of course, we all know Olympians can get COVID and can die of COVID, but we also know they are not the ones that should be first in line because uh, there are populations that are much, much, much more at risk. So I'm just concerned about all of this. And I think we're going to see some really ugly things as far as Olympians and other athletes jumping, um, jumping to the front of the line. And um, it's going to be, it's going to be a super spreader event. It's going to be a super spreader event. There's just no way it's not. And then, Recently, in a burnout down meeting, we had Shireen pointed out that not only do we have the Summer Olympics coming up shortly, but just behind them, literally we're a year away from the Beijing Olympics in 2022. And there's a real question at this point about whether or not they will happen, if they should happen. There's all the stuff about the pandemic that still, sadly, will apply probably at that point in time. All the questions Lindsay brought up about qualifying, like what's going to happen with the Winter Olympics, but also there's issues with China, right? And so just days ago, the World Uyghur Congress, which is composed of more than 180 groups representing Tibetans, Uyghurs, residents of Hong Kong, and others, described the 2022 Olympics as, quote, a genocide Olympics. In an open letter, they called for a boycott of the Beijing Olympics, quote, to ensure they are not used to embolden the Chinese government's appalling rights abuses and crackdowns on dissent. So here we are, with yet another games just behind the ones in Japan that have all these issues with them too. And it's like, what, what are we even doing at this point? Look, I love curling as much as the next person, but it's not worth this. Like in terms of, do I think it should happen unequivocally? No. I mean, yes, we absolutely want athletes and marginalized athletes to have, you know, amplification that we've talked about, particularly women's sports, but like, not like this, not when, it's not only a violation of human rights, which we know occurs with Uyghur Muslims and against dissenting voices in China, but specifically, if this is a health risk. This is a health risk, as Lindsay said, this is a super spreader event and it disproportionately affects poor people. And that's what I think is the most concerning is that this is willful recklessness and endangerment of lives, these type of events on those local regional spaces that don't have the capacity to deal with the pandemic spreading the way that it did. We know who dies the most from this illness globally. We know this. It's for me, this is like appalling. It's so funny. I hear all the stuff that we have said up to this point, and I still think we're going to get both sets of Olympics. I do too. I 100% do too, because there's just too much money and power at stake and that trumps everything. Right. Um, it's it's staggering, you know, um, but the sponsors, the television networks, they're all going to just be going blazing forward um, so that at least some money can be recouped. And that's going to be the bottom line. 
And that's the way that these events have transformed over the years to be way more about money than they are about the athletes. And we're just going to see that so clearly. I just have like, I think about how NBA seasons and the NHL season, um, and even, you know, we've, we've just seen the NFL season have gone with all these stops and starts and random players getting quarantined, right, for like long periods of time and all these games delayed. How can that happen in the Olympics? They're, you know, there's, there's, they're sharing venues with other sports. <laughs> you know, they have to stick to a tight schedule. Um, there's no room for this, right? And they have to have a hard out end date because these athletes have to go on. Many of them competing in other leagues, right? Have other um, obligations, and I just. They're going to try to do this, and um, it's very, very, very concerning. Um, a headline that really terrified me to no end also this week was um, Paris 2024 will have a contingency plan if COVID-19 case uh, crisis not over, which my brain was not willing to um, even <laughs> process the thought that this could still be here in 2024. But it, we know it could, right? We know it could. And... Um, you know, I'm glad that Paris is already coming up with contingency plans because it seems like the Tokyo organizers have just done nothing but nap the last like year. Like, what have they been doing? They made a 32 page cartoon journal. The cartoon journal. Cartoon guidebook. Uh, uh, good luck. And um, <laughs> we are seeing other places be inventive that aren't you know, that aren't as tied to these corporate structures, be inventive about how they hold competition. Um, The winter special Olympics are all going to be done, is going to be done virtually, you know? And I always wonder why, at some point in this, why couldn't each, at least each sport or each, you know, delegation be in a different space, right? Like not have all the Olympics together. It wouldn't feel like the, you know, of course would be different. Um, but you could host more bubble-like atmospheres, right, at different kind of spaces across the globe and more virtually um, for, you know, different competitions and, of course, air them, you know, figure out a way to broadcast them so it's back-to-back. And, you know, there could have been ways to get creative, you know, in this and be much, much safer. But um, that is not the route that these organizers took. Well, these are money pits. For, I mean, this is a money pit for yeah. Japan. And so I'm sure... And they don't want to scare away future hosts thinking that their Olympics won't right. happen there because they're also in the money pit with this stuff, too. So, yeah, you can see, as you said, Linz, that the money is just guiding all of this. But wait, I did hear something about Florida. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of all the of all the intelligent plans, Jess. Yeah. So friends of the show, Dave Zyron and Jules Boykoff wrote about this for the nation that the Florida's state's chief financial officer uh, they This is how they wrote it, Dave and Jules. The cinematically named Jimmy Patronin. Every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team. Doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's U.S. data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. 
Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. (laughs) He sent a letter to the IOC saying that Florida would be happy to host if Japan will not, which, you know... Dave and Jules do a great job like explaining why on the ground this would be so devastating in Florida. The One of the big points is that since the pandemic began, the entire country of Japan has had 371,000 cases of COVID. Florida has more than 1.7 million at this point. Uh, so just the idea of it is so ridiculous. But then it's just like, what a joke Florida is. I mean, I'm from Florida. I have a lot of family there still. So I feel like I'm safe in saying, but like, what a joke of a state, man. And then to step up in this totally ridiculous way at this particular moment. It's like you can't even script this stuff anymore. Like it doesn't even, it's so outrageous. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit BetterHelp.com burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com burn. That's betterhelp.com B-U-R-N. For our interview that will drop on Thursday, I interviewed the amazing Dr. Mariam Aziz. They are a Black scholar and karate practitioner. We're going to talk about Blackness, we're going to talk about queerness, and we're going to talk about being Muslims in martial arts. We will also get in the Cobra Kai series about what is real and what is not. At this point, I've had hundreds of people in classes, and not everyone that steps into a class 
is going to be someone that is affected by a hate crime. And you may not even have to use physical self-defense in your lifetime, but everybody who walks into that class is someone that feels unsafe in a larger world or feels unseen or perceived as weak and incapable in a larger world. And so I think practically speaking, one of the big things that I hear folks coming back and saying they walked away with was, well, actually, I just felt better in my body, right? I went back into the world and I felt a little less afraid to be myself in my hijab or to be in my gender nonconforming body after I left the class. And I felt like I was enough. And I think that's one of the things that really keeps me going is when people say, actually, I felt like enough. On to everyone's favorite part of the show, Jessica Ray. What's up? Yeah, so Lindsay hinted at this uh, in the segment, but I would like to talk about a wild thing that happened on Friday night in the NBA during the Brooklyn Nets loss to the Toronto Raptors. Nets star Kevin Durant was pulled from pregame warmups. But then he was allowed to play, starting midway through the first quarter. Then Durant was pulled during a third-quarter timeout after playing 19 minutes. It's not hard at this point to guess what happened. During the day on Friday, Durant rode unmasked with a team employee three separate times in a car, according to ESPN's Malika Andrews. That employee had an inconclusive test, inconclusive test, so Durant was allowed back on, was allowed on the court. According to a statement from the NBA, quote, under the league's health and safety protocols, we do not require a player to be quarantined until a close contact has a confirmed positive test. The employee then received a positive test, and so Durant was pulled after spending 19 minutes on court playing basketball. After the game, James Harden, Durant's new teammate on the net, speaking for everyone, I want to say, said, quote, the game should have been postponed, I feel like. If we're talking about contact tracing, he was around all of us. So I don't understand why he wasn't allowed to play, then allowed to play, then taken back off the court. If that was the case, we should have postponed the game. Yes, James Harden. (laughs) And after the NBA told The Athletic that Durant had been pulled on Friday, quote, out of an abundance of caution, Durant took to Twitter writing in response, yo, NBA, your fans aren't dumb, four exclamation points. You can't fool them with your whack-ass PR tactics. As of Saturday night, all of the Nets players and staff continue to test negative for COVID-19, but we know there's an incubation period and lots of people test negative over and over until they don't. Even if all of the Nets and Raptors do escape without contracting the virus, there's still a lot to be upset about here with how the NBA is handling COVID. All of this comes on the heels of players speaking out about the NBA's desire to hold an all-star game a month from now. LeBron James called the idea of an exhibition game, which is what the all-star game is, at this point in time, a, quote, slap in the face to players. Kawhi Leonard said holding it is, quote, just putting money over health right now pretty much. A man of few words, but the right words here. As always, there's a lot to worry over when it comes to sports and COVID, but there's something particularly painful about the NBA. I keep thinking about what Lindsay said back in early December in episode 183. She noted how a single positive test from Rudy Gobert was enough nearly a year ago to shut everything down. And then, I'm going to quote our own Lindsay Gibbs, we are headed into a winter that is going to be so dangerous and so horrific as far as the death toll, as far as the virus spreading, combining the flu. It's just going to, like, we can't even really comprehend how bad it's going to get in Uh, December, January, February, and yet the NBA is going on without a bubble. Just going on. Lindsay, you were totally right. And they are. 
They're just going on. And the ridiculousness of that was on full display this past week. It's reckless and it's bad and it makes me sad in so many ways and I just want to burn it all down. Burn. Burn. I'm going to go next and just a trigger warning for everybody listening. Um, I'm going to talk about the absolute disaster that is Northwestern University. Uh, I heard about a story of a former cheerleader named Hayden Richardson, who was suing the school for harassment. And I'm going to be quoting from a Chicago Tribune article on this. Richardson details repeated instances where she said she was groped by drunken fans and alumni during university-sanctioned events, alleging the cheer team's head coach required female members to mingle with powerful donors for the school financials gain. Um, this is disgusting. It's exploitation. As we know, these cheerleaders, these athletes aren't paid. They're exploited unwillingly. This is an absolutely horrific, horrific situation to put these young women in. And um, adjacent to this, Jessica actually sent me an article in the Daily Northwestern reporting on the the, the article is called Marginalized on the Sidelines, and it speaks specifically of the racialized abuse and harassment that Black cheerleaders and racialized cheerleaders also on that squad. It was talking about physical harassment, discrimination, and sexual assault. And what has ended up happening is that Northwestern is now facing cases against them. They're being sued by these former cheerleaders. But in addition to that, I'm really furious at the trauma, the abuse, and that the absolute violation that these cheerleaders experienced, I think that they're mocked very often. There was a lack of support from other like athletes. There was a lot, complete lack of support and a disregard of their safety and their well-being from Northwestern University. I want to take all of that shit and I want to burn it all down. Burn. 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 Lens, what are you torching? Yeah, uh... I read about this in Power Plays this week and I spent most of the week kind of immersed in this. And um, I don't even think the burn pile is um, is big enough. Like that's how uh, angry I am about this. But one of um, Biden's first actions of president was to sign the executive order on preventing and combating discrimination on the basis of gender identity or sexual orientation. Among other things, that mandated that transgender children be allowed to use the locker rooms and bathrooms of their gender identity and participate in the sport of their gender identity. The executive order led to a slew of transphobic op-eds, which, of course, we've already been reading over the past couple of years. But these particularly um, whined that Biden is erasing women and ending girls' sports. Um, we also saw the escalation and emergence of anti-trans bills in local legislators across the country that aim to ban trans girls and women from participating in girls and women's sports. Most of those were done by, you know, far right wing um, QAnon types. Um, but a development on Tuesday came from inside our own community, <laughs> On Tuesday, a group uh, consisting of multiple female sports legends officially launched the Women's Sports Policy Working Group. There's six people, Martina Navratilova, legendary tennis player, um, Nancy Hogshead Maker, the Olympic gold medalist and CEO of Champion Women. You've got Donna De Verona, Donna Lopiana, and um, the lone man, Tracy Sundlin. And then also Dorian Coleman, 
who is a co-director at the Sports Law and Policy Center at Duke Law School. This group has been meeting for almost two years to solve the problem of trans participation in sports. It is five cisgender uh, women, one cisgender man, zero scientists or trans people, and of course it is overwhelmingly, blindingly white. Uh, the work culminated in a detailed website, um, which includes an extensive briefing book titled A Request to Congress and the Administration to Preserve Girls and Women's Sport and Accommodate Transgender Athletes. This group is positioning itself as the moderate between two extremes. We don't believe in full exclusion of trans girls and women, and we don't believe in the full inclusion of trans girls and women is how what they continuously say. Um, yet <laughs> the policies they are proposing are far more damning and dangerous than what currently exists in elite women's sports. The policies really hinge around the onset of male puberty. It says before the onset of male puberty, trans girls and women can compete in girls and women's sports without condition, but trans girls and women who have experienced all or part of male puberty must sufficiently mitigate their male sex-linked advantages through surgery and or gender-affirming hormones consistent with the rules of their sport. This focus of the onset of male puberty is maddening. First of all, there is no one uniform age or date in which male puberty begins, nor are all signs of this the exact same and uniform across the board. So monitoring this would be incredibly invasive. And the working group provided zero details on the front about how this would be monitored or implemented. But it is reasonable to expect that it would it would be invasive and it would devastatingly disproportionately discriminate against racialized children who are perceived as being more adult than their same aged white mm -hmm. counterparts. Mm -hmm. It's also a very classist policy. Um, even if the exact onset is discernible and a trans girl decides that she, that she wants to begin medically transition, she can't just stop by the front office during her lunch break. Like this is an incredibly expensive procedure and um, and needs incredibly expensive health care that is not uh, uniformly accessible. Under these guidelines, girls as young as 11, 12, even younger, could be forced to make decisions about surgery and hormone treatment just so they can compete in sports with other girls. And that's just unconscionable. Um, the Women's Sports Policy Working Group is going out of their way to come up with perilous solutions for a problem that does not exist. Trans girls and women are not dominating girls' sports. Uh, they are not the threat. They are the ones being threatened. Um, Ann Lieberman, the Director of Policy and Programs for Athlete Allied, told me, and I think this sums it up, while everyone is really hyper-focused on hypotheticals and elite levels of competition, trans kids are dying. So I want to burn everything involved in that working group. And I know I went long here, but I cannot stress how important it is for everyone who is a fan of women's sports, everyone who considers themselves part of the women's sports community to speak out loudly and adamantly about this because they are using us. They are using the existence of our world to um condone this discrimination and we just cannot cannot stand for it burn 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 after 
burning all that needed to be burned. We want to take a moment to lift up incredible people this week. And first of all, in memoriam, Diane Durham, who was, according to USA Gymnastics, was the first Black gymnast to capture a national all-round title and paved the way for generations of gymnasts who followed rest in power, Diane. Yeah, I also wanted to say this week we lost uh, Chris Wessling, um, a reporter for NFL.com and a co-host of the Around the NFL podcast, which I've listened to for, God, feels like almost a decade now. Um, But he passed away from cancer. And I just want to say that he um, was just a journalist I loved reading. And I loved hearing about, um, especially about his love story with his wife, Lakeisha, and the birth of their son, Link. And um, Lakeisha and uh, Link are in my thoughts and prayers, as are um, everyone who knew Chris and um, has always fucked cancer. Jess, who is We Love to See It Shine of the Week? The Black Like Me Film Festival is happening this month. Starting yesterday, Monday, February 8th, Color the Trail, an organization based in British Columbia that wants to inspire more Black, Indigenous, and people of color to enjoy the outdoors, is running an online film festival featuring eight full-length films about Black people excelling in outdoor activities. You can get more information at their website, colorthetrails.com, and that's color with a U. As it ought to be spelled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a very important clarification. <laughs> Lens. Yeah, the star rising of the week. Uh, Jasmine Mander has been hired by Soccer Canada as women's national team performance analyst. Mander is a former national women's youth team player. Congrats. Jess. Wizard of the week is Sarah Goodrum. She is the Brewers' new minor league hitting coordinator. She is the first woman to hold that job for an MLB organization. Can I have a drum roll, please? We at Burn It All Down are proud to put young trans athletes on a podium and recognize their light, importance, and power. It has been a particularly egregious week against trans athletes. These young folks continue to fight trans misogyny and attacks on their lives by people who use women's sports as a weapon against trans communities, against inclusion, and against authentic identity. We offer our solidarity and our respect. We are in this fight with you. Torchbearers of the week are trans athletes. I just wanted to add an excerpt from Leija Clarendon's piece in Marie Claire that was published on Saturday, February 6th. Quote, the use of protecting women in sports, unquote, as a cloak for excluding trans women would be comical if it wasn't so painful. There are renewed calls to police the bodies of women and girl athletes by excluding girls who are trans from participating on school athletic teams. As if somehow we can protect women and girls if we just exclude the ones some believe are too much like boys and are given an unfair competitive advantage. For the record, this has not been proven. But this is the very thing that has harmed so many athletes, both cisgender and transgender, in women's sports. The idea that our bodies are somehow fair game for scrutiny, debate, and intrusion. It is this scrutiny that is a threat to women's sports, not the presence of trans women and girls. We must ask ourselves the critical question, why are trans girls and women being targeted the most? Um, for those of you that missed it, Leisha Clarendon was our Torchbird of the Week last week, and we offer them our continued love and solidarity. Whew! 
What's good, Lindsay Gibbs? Well, first of all, I'm looking out my window and it is snowing. Aww. So this is kind of the first snow I've seen here in Greensboro. And honestly, it hadn't snowed in D.C. in years. It's not really going to gonna stick, but it's pretty outside right now. Um, but what's really good for me this week is this new app or community called Focusmate, which is kind of made for ADHD people like myself. Um, it sounds weird to those who aren't, um, but it's essentially an account of like a virtual accountability co-working um, space where you schedule 50 minutes sessions um, with a stranger through their scheduling system. And at the beginning of the call, you see each other on video chat and you state your goals and then you stay on camera. Some people stay muted. Some people say unmuted. Um, it kind of depends on what you want, but, um, you know, and then at the end of the 50 minutes, you check back in and I've done multiple blocks every day this week. I've got, um, you know, four or five planned for this afternoon. It is drastically increased my productivity and, um, also just helped me kind of avoid some of my worst traits, which are just, it's so hard for me to find structure to my day since I work from home completely alone um, and, uh, it's so, uh, it's so tough for me to get started and this really helps remove barriers. So it is only $5 a month for unlimited sessions. So if you're an ADHD person like me and are struggling, um, I, I cannot recommend it a month and every single person I I'm on the sessions with, like we all say, cause all week I've been like, I'm new to this and this is a game changer. And they're like, yeah, it has changed my life. So it is a great, great tool. I love that. All of it. Um, so I watched Flack on Amazon Prime and I'm undecided about Anna Paquin about how I feel. Um, uh, Fly Away Home is one of my like, I love that movie, like the whole the geese and the teaching the ducks to the geese to fly and the thing. And it was it was a really good movie. Anyway, she's in that, I'm guessing. Yeah. So Flack, <laughs> okay. Flack is not like that. She's basically this super problematic, horrible person. And I really I actually really end up enjoying this this like small limited series on Amazon. And just because she's such a mess. She's like a, is she a PR person? Is that why it's called yeah, Flack? It's okay. Exactly. She's a PR person and she works at this agency and it's a mess and she's a mess, but I love the honesty with which it's, I mean, there's no happy ending. This isn't a, this isn't a spoiler. Like every episode, it's not a happy ending. Let's just say. So like, I guess that is a spoiler, but anyways, it's just really good. And it's refreshing to watch that. And um, I wanted to say, I've been getting, I know this is like, it's rumored to be for white people meal kits, but I've been enjoying them. My schedule's super hectic and I have like passing off the responsibility of meals to my kids and they just assemble the stuff and it's working out. It was my birthday, which I loved so much. And then it was Jihad's birthday, my daughter, which was, we had a really nice time and a special shout out to my niece, Zara, who will be turning 13 the day this drops. I adore her. She is She's got my energy, but she's really smart and beautiful and talented. And I just adore her and think the world of her. There's a lot of Aquarian women in my life. And this is just such a power month. Um, but I got a lot of joy from the which co-host are you quiz that we put out yesterday. Oh, yes. Um, Shelby Weldon, I love you. Thank you for doing this. And thank you to the flamethrowers on Twitter, Erica, who suggested it. And it has brought us a lot of fun. Um I, like, you know, there's a little bit of a, a, a Lindsay flex happening out there. There's a lot of Lindsay's and the Jessica's and the like the Brenda's. Um, 
And it's been great. I was a little worried my mom about my mom. My mom ended up getting me, but I think she just, you know, just did what she thought. Um, my children were Jessica and me. So it was split. And that tracks like Safe and Salu were, were Jessica. Um, Jihad tried to pretend she wasn't me, but in that process, we realized she definitely was me. So that's on brand. Anyway, that was really, really fun. Jess? This past week, a good friend of mine who lives here in Austin named Amy Gentry, she published her third novel. I loved her first two. She writes thrillers. And this latest one is called Bad Habits. I've started it. She just has such a smooth writing style. Uh, And then she does these thrillers where like things are revealed as you go. And I'm not really sure how she keeps track of it and brings everything full circle. But Bad Habits is about graduate school. So if you've ever suffered through the politics and the hell and the competitiveness of grad school, uh, this book might be for you. She is a huge fan of unlikable female characters. So just know that going in. Uh, And then I last night, we watched Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which is the live action Dora movie. It's on Hulu. And we watched it because we have a 12 year old and he wanted to see it. It is phenomenal. There is no reason that a live action Dora The Explorer movie should be this funny. I laughed the whole time. It is so well done. The woman who plays Dora is spectacular. I know it sounds so weird, but I really cannot recommend this movie more highly. It's the best movie I've seen so far in 2021. Dora and the Lost City of Gold. I laughed so much last night. It was really lovely. Okay. I was not expecting that, but okay. That's amazing. Um, Lindsay, maybe we can do a watch party for Dora because I would want to watch Dora with you for just the facial <laughs> expressions alone. Lindsay's face right now is just, yeah, it's, it's a no a, from her eyes. Insert face it's here. It's a no from yeah, her eyes. Yeah, it's good. But speaking of watch parties, I'm thankful I'm thankful in retrospect for our Super Bowl watch party. Same. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to quickly add in this that Lindsay and I uh, – had the pleasure of dropping into Dr. Mira Davis's class this week, and that was really fun. So love Amira, and especially all those people out there who are getting Amira on the survey and like starting happy fan groups and clubs. So that's fine. Um, what are we watching this week? Um, so the Australia Open, it started yesterday, which would be Monday, February 8th, and it runs until the 21st of February. NBA is continuing. The FA Super Cup continues, European football generally is continuing. The Champs League round of 16 starts very soon next week. Uh, FIFA Club World Cup, so it's like specific to clubs, not national teams. The men's football is happening. The 2021 Six Nation Championship men's rugby is happening. And just if you all remember, the Six Nation women's was canceled. So that's a bit shitty. Uh, the FIS Alpine World Ski in Cortina d'Ampezzo, Italy is happening soon from February 8th to the 21st. And the ISU Speed Skating Championships are in here in Wien, Netherlands. They also start on the 8th of February until the 21st. So get your sport on. That's it this week for Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down lives on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. Uh, We appreciate your reviews and feedback, so please subscribe and write and let us know what we did and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at burnitalldownpod and on Twitter, burnitdownpod. You can email us at burnitalldownpod at gmail.com. Check out our website, www.burnitalldownpod.com, where you will find previous episodes, transcripts, and a link to our Patreon. 
Again, we appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and reading our show, which helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. We wish you safety, health, and whatever joys you can muster during this continuing time. And as Brenda says, burn on and not.